Welcome to the Gospel for Life. We have four Treasure Valley pastors committed to showing that the gospel is not just for that religious part of your life, but rather it's for all of life. You never graduate from the gospel. I'm Josh Bales, pastor of the Well Church, here with Russell Herman, pastor at Cloverdale United Reformed Church, Phil Moran, pastor at Christ Presbyterian Church, and Jonathan Van Hoogen, pastor at Spring United Reformed Church. Now, if you'd like to find out more about us or catch past broadcasts or get information about our annual conference, you can find us at ReformationVoice.com. So I want to ask a polarizing question to start off the show today. And it's polarizing because there is a huge group of evangelicals that will be shocked that I would even ask such a question. On the other hand, there's another group of evangelicals that will probably feel very uncomfortable where this discussion is going. And so the question is this, can we tell non-Christians that God loves them? Now, before you answer, I feel like this question can't be separated from the surrounding evangelical context because there are two kind of opposite extremes that make this question relevant. The first extreme is the thinking that reduces the being of God to love and ignores his other attributes. This thinking has room for the verse that says God is love, 1 John 4, 8, but it has no room for the verse that tells us that God hates all evildoers, Psalm 5, 5. Now, on the other hand, the second extreme is the one that comes from what's called hyper-Calvinism. Now, hyper-Calvinism is not people who are serious about Calvinism. It's a perfectly good problem to be serious about Calvinism because that's just biblical Christianity. Now, hyper-Calvinism is a historical movement that is defined by denying that the gospel should be freely offered to every human being. Hyper-Calvinists believe that you have to see evidence of grace in an individual first before you preach to them the gospel, because otherwise, they argue, it is disingenuous to offer them Jesus Christ, and it's disingenuous to tell them that God loves them and desires that they would be saved. So again, back to our polarizing question, can we tell non-Christians that God loves them? Why or why not? Well, I think that um, when we were talking about Carson's book and uh, the ways in which God's love is manifest and shown to us, we do see uh, a general love for humanity. And in Matthew chapter 5 um, and in Luke chapter 6, our love to our neighbor and even to our enemies is the very thing that conforms us to the Heavenly Father. This is where the family likeness is shown. It, we, we reflect uh, God here. And we don't know if our neighbor is one of the elect or not. We we proclaim that free offer of the gospel promiscuously, but we do know that we are to love them, um, and that command to love our neighbor is part of the law that shows uh, God's holy character. And the question has to be asked, does God command us to love those he doesn't love? Right. <laughs> is, is our love somehow greater than his love, the thing that he's commanding us to do? And we realize that um, that love was perfectly fulfilled in Christ. I don't really love my neighbor as I should. Right. Um, but in Christ, I, I do. Christ loved them. Christ lived the life that I couldn't live. And mm-hmm. he perfectly, He was made under the law, and he perfectly fulfilled it. And in order for that to be true, he must have shown love to both the elect and to the reprobate, he, mm-hmm. just as God requires us to do. And, and so we don't divide 
uh, the humanity of Christ and the divinity of Christ. Um, we don't divide the person of Christ. Um, we remember that uh, Jesus shed tears over Jerusalem. You know, he demonstrated his love for them. They were human tears to be sure, but they were the tears of the divine person in his human nature, just as his sufferings were the sufferings of the divine person in his human nature. So there's, uh, you know, this overture of the gospel, um, you know, expresses God's loving kindness to those to whom it's addressed. And it's addressed to sinners in general, and we proclaim that gospel, uh, as the canons of Dort say, promiscuously. We don't withhold it from anyone. It's it's out there for everyone. And, you know, the, the Bible says, um, let him who has ears to hear, hear what the Spirit of God says to the church. Yeah, and and you quoted the command, uh, love your neighbor as yourself. Uh, in fact, Jesus goes further than that. He tells us to love our enemies. Mm-hmm. And, um, and oftentimes we think Jesus is coming up with a new expression of love in the New Testament, but it's not true. He's quoting the Old Testament yeah. when he quotes that command about if your enemy is thirsty, give him drink. He's quoting the Old Testament there, and Paul quotes it again in Romans chapter 12. Mm-hmm. And uh, so this is an expression of God's love because the whole theme in the Sermon on the Mount there in that context is for us to become like our Father who is in heaven, mm-hmm. to become perfect As like our him. Father and so perfect. that is an aspect of God's love. That aspect of God's love is really shed abroad on everyone. And so the Bible talks about God causing the sun to shine and the rain to fall on, on everyone. The fact is, every one of us is breathing in the love of God all the time. We're swimming mm-hmm. in the love of God. It is all around us. Every single person who's ever lived on this earth is, has swam in the love of God. The problem mm-hmm. is, due to our sin, is we don't see it. Right. And we're not yeah. grateful for it. Right. And that's why we, the, the problem with people coming to Christ, it's never a part, it's never a case of God keeping people away from Christ. Yes. That's never presented that way. The sovereignty of his love, the electing nature of his love is necessary because in our fallenness, we cannot change our own hearts. Yeah. Mm-hmm. We cannot change our own loves. We cannot change ourselves so that instead of fleeing from the living God and suppressing the truth about him, all of a sudden we're drawn to him. Only God can do that. And so f- for anyone to come to Christ in the in the history of the world, God has to do, to do more than have this general love of blessing and kindness and opportunity given to people. He that's not that's not going to save anybody. He's got to go further than that. He's got to come get us. He's got to break into our lives. He's got to grab hold of us, which he does to each one of us in a different way. You know, sometimes he works very quietly with people. Uh, they they may read a Christian book or just be reading their Bibles and God opens their heart by the Holy Spirit and it's a very quiet and gentle conversion. Some people like Nebuchadnezzar in Daniel chapter 4, he has to bring kicking and screaming. He, he takes his sanity away for seven years to humble him, to, to bring him. But it's like Nebi is coming. There's no, there's no doubt about that. He's coming because God set his love on him. Yeah. And, yeah. But, but that's a comforting fact. It's not a stingy, dark reality. Yeah. Yeah, we're yeah. we're not denying yeah. the other attributes of God. In fact, just as we're called to love uh, others, uh, the psalmist in Psalm 139, 21 says, Do I not hate those who hate you? 
<laughs> you know, there's, yeah. I mean, so we understand that, um, you know, God is holy and just and, and that there is wrath in, in God as well. You know, and I, <laughs> I've been pestering the guys before the show here. I said, I've got some thoughts on God's wrath I want to share, but I don't know where I'm going to bring it up. So thank you, Jonathan. You, you said the word <laughs> wrath. right here. Hey, you <laughs> said the there. word wrath, and I'm going with it. I, the reason why I've thought so much about the wrath of God, and, and it's a fact that, you know, a lot of times we, we can see sin and we go, well, sin is wrong. But it still bothers us that God is angry and then the idea of God's wrath in the Bible. The reason why I've thought so much about this is because uh, before I became a pastor, I worked for 25 years in the criminal justice system. And I still today as an adjunct teach criminal justice out at NNU. And what I've observed over the years is that there's certain kinds of crime, you know, things that everybody would acknowledge are wrong, like somebody robbed a bank in New Jersey. Now, we would all say, well, that's wrong. They need to be brought to justice. But none of us would be angry about that. But what I observed is that there's a certain kind of crime where we all get angry. We don't just say justice needs to be done. I mean, we get mad. And we think it's right to be mad. And we think anybody would be wrong to not be mad about the particular type of crime involved. And the, and the differentiation is crimes that involve personal betrayal. I think of um, the Susan Smith case uh, a number of years ago. She was a mother. Um, she was uh, divorced, single mom, had f- four kids, I think it was. And uh, she had a new boyfriend, and it seemed like the kids were cramping her style and uh, being able to, to be with this new boyfriend. She took the, her, her, these small children she put them in her car seats in the in the back seat of the car. She put the car in neutral and she watched it roll into a lake, mm-hmm. and they all drowned. And then she claimed they were missing. Now, when people hear about that crime, they don't just think, uh, "Well, justice needs to be done." No, people are angry. I think about the FBI agent. I can't remember his name. A number of years ago, it came out. He had been. Uh, he was very high up within the FBI, and he had been selling. U.S. secrets to the Soviet Union for many, many years. And then after it all came out, again, people are really angry. And it didn't matter how much he presented evidence that, but I'm a good dad, I take my kids to Little League, I'm in the PTA, all these different... The more he talked about that kind of stuff, the madder people got. Yeah. And again, all of these, when, when, when people learned that for a number of years ago when it came out that Prince Charles, during his honeymoon with Princess Di, was carrying on with Camilla Parker Bowles the whole time, people are angry. You know, it's it's like the story Nathan tells David when David is uh, yeah. covering up his adultery with Bathsheba and his murder of her husband to keep it a secret, Nathan switches it and he makes it uh, somebody else. And it's it's the rich guy who steals the poor neighbor's sheep in order to cook it up and serve his guest. And what's David's response to that? This man will surely die. Well, the law provides, well, no, he gets four sheep restitution. You know, that's what the law provides. But David said, this guy's going to die. And Nathan, Nathan says, you're the man. What he was pointing out to David there is that your sin involves the same kind of betrayal 
of a, and of an affirmative duty of love and loyalty as this story I just told you. And I think that's what we have to realize is that our fundamental sin going all the way back to the Garden of Eden is not an impersonal sin. We turned our backs on the God who had loved us, who created us in his image, who gave us everything, including himself. We turned our backs on him. We betrayed him. And once we start seeing our sin as not just being like we violated some cosmic traffic code rule, like we came to a rolling stop when nobody else was there, you know. No, we betrayed God. We yeah. betrayed the one who loved us. And yeah. when we start seeing that, it's like we get angry when we hear about those kinds of betrayals. Why wouldn't God? Yeah. Okay. So in light of that, Phil, that was really good. Can we tell non-believers that God loves them in light of that type of betrayal that Alan was just talking about? Yeah, and 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 absolutely. And that's the nature of the gospel that 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 God's God's love, God so loved the world that he gave his only son into a world that betrayed him. Uh into a world that turned we turned our backs on him. And it's in precisely to that rebellious world which God has every right to be to pour out nothing but wrath on that world. God instead in grace and love out of the nature of who God is, extends his love into the world. And we, with absolute confidence, can say that to all people, the love of God is offered to you in the right. gospel. Right. And, right. of course, the mystery of election is that some people are going to receive it, and for some others, it's going to be water off the duck's back. Mm-hmm. We leave that to God. Mm-hmm. Uh, we are to be the sower who goes yeah. out to sow, and prof, prof, profligately, and as it was said earlier, promiscuously. Promiscuously, <laughs> that's right. Spreads the good news of the gospel that God's love is offered to you. Amen. All right, well, this has been the Gospel for Life. We hope that you tune in tomorrow as we conclude this week's broadcast on the love of God. 